First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Pray with me. God, we just thank you for today, and we thank you for your word that is always true, that is always right, that is a mirror for who we really are, God, and is a light on who you really are and what you've done for us. Let your words just ring true this morning and pierce our hearts. Let us walk away changed, following you in greater obedience than when we walked in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the last sermon in this series titled, After God's Own Heart, and we're covering 2 Samuel 8, 9, and 10, and as this series has gone on, I find myself asking this question a lot. Can, can that be me? Can that be said of me? Can I be a man after God's own heart? Now, I'm, I, I know that I'm not David, right? I hear those Matt Chandler thing in my, in my ear, you're not David, right? I know I'm not David, I know that I'm not that, that important, but I wonder to myself, can I actually be a man after God's own heart? At the end of my life, I mean, I would, I would hope and pray that that's what people would say about me, rather than I, I did this or that and the other, but he just loved Jesus. And this morning, we're going to see that a person after God's own heart has righteous character. While we're not David, through Christ, every one of us has the ability to be people, men and women, after God's own heart. 2 Samuel 7, which was covered two weeks ago, was one of the most important chapters in the entire Old Testament. And I cannot understate how important it is. Uh, David's at a period of rest. He comes to God and says, God, I'm going to build you a house. Here, I'm living in this house. Your ark is in a tent. I'm going to build you a house. And God says to David, I think you've forgotten how this works. You don't build me houses. I'm going to build you a house. And what God promises David is far grander than anything what David could promise God. He not only promises, he, he promises to build him a house that will never go away. He promises to make out of David's line a forever king of a forever kingdom. And what we see here in 2 Samuel chapter 8 and, and verses following is the, the starting fulfillment of some of those things. We start to see the fulfillment of these eternal promises God made to David in 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 and 13. And we can see examples and patterns in these Old Testament passages today of what it looks like to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. And the point I'm trying to make is a person after God's own heart has righteous character. And I want to push the question back to you that I've been asking myself. Are you a person after God's own heart? This morning we're going to look at three examples that demonstrate this righteous character. We're going to see that righteous character means being faithful, kind, and courageous. And the first thing we're going to look at is having righteous character means being faithful. And we didn't get a chance to read it this morning, but in chapter 8, the kingdom of Israel is being expanded under David's leadership. Immediately following this promise uh, from God to David, the kingdom starts to expand. It starts to blow up. And, and there are five victories mentioned in this chapter. And I love maps. I have an Old Testament professor said, anytime you talk about the Old Testament, show a map. So if he's in the audience, which I know he's not, He'd be proud of me, maybe. But uh, here we go. So this is, this is a map of the region. And as you can see, in kind of the gray is where it started. And then green is where it expanded to. David is 
taking care of business. And in chapter 8, it talks about several battles. In verse 1, he's defeating the Philistines and that area kind of t- towards, towards the Mediterranean Sea. And then he defeats Moab, that area on the other side. So he's pushing the boundaries both east and west. And then he fede- uh, defeats um, Hadad-Ezer um, in the north. And then he defeats the Syrians also in the north. So he's pushing the boundaries north. And then in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 8, he defeats Edom to the south. So he's stretching the boundaries as, as far east and west and north and south. And there are two key verses that happen throughout this. At the end of verse 6 and at the end of verse 14, it says this, So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And it's clear that David is a powerful man. And his army is strong. But what we see from those verses is someone else is doing the fighting for him. God is on his side and is causing these victories to come one after another. And the question is, why is God even doing this? Why, David, why is God giving him victory? Doesn't everybody want victory? Why is God giving David victory? God's giving him victory because he promised he would. He promised he would do it. God makes a covenant with David saying that certain things are going to happen, that he will cut off his enemies, he will give him rest, he will make a name for David. And what we see in chapter 8 is God fulfilling promise after promise after promise after promise. Because we know that when God makes a promise, he can take it to the bank. Because God is faithful. A person after God's own heart has righteous character, and God is demonstrating his own righteous character by being faithful. In verse 15 of chapter 8, we see this summary statement of how God is being faithful to David. And it says, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. God was faithful to David in keeping his promise, and now David is being faithful in ruling his people fairly and justly and being a good king to all of Israel. When you think about faithfulness, it's kind of intrinsically helpful, right? If you think about a faithful person, everybody wants faithful people in their life, right? Everybody wants people that when I need something done, I know I can go to this person because it's going to get done. It's a helpful, it's a good thing. We want more people in our life. We want to be surrounded by people who are faithful, people who we can count on. And this is one of the most important attributes of God. When God says something, he will do it. And there, there's an interesting wordplay in here um, in chapter 8. One of the kings David defeated, which I, which I butchered the name earlier, is called um, Hadad Ezer. In Hebrew, Hadad is another word for the god Baal. And we see that the, the last part of his name, Ezer, means help. So this, god, this king's name, Hadad Ezer, literally means Baal is a help. Right? Fantastic, right? That's a great name if you worship that guy, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 7, we see um, Samuel, prophet Samuel, took a stone and set it up. And he called the stone Ebenezer, or Ebenezer, right? Which means the stone of help, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And what we have here with this name, Baal is help, and then this stone, The stone is help, reminding us that God has helped us. We see these two helps kind of competing. One is Baal, the other is God. And guess which one actually comes through? Which one was defeated? Which one still stands? 
It's another, it's just a hidden thing in there, but just these names are just pointing back to the faithfulness and the character of God. Only, the only one who is faithful is the one who has righteous character. And we think about, I mean, I, I walked in here and I'm feeling like I'm like seven years old again. I'm seeing Christmas lights. I'm thinking about all these traditions. And um, I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. And when we think of the holidays, one of the things we think about with holidays is traditions. Things that you do every year without fail. Do you all have something, even if it's weird, that you do every year without fail? Like you bring out this ratty old tablecloth or you hang this ornament that looks horrible, but you do it every year. Right? There's, something, there's something about that. Like It brings a memory. Uh, it reminds you of a time. It reminds you of a person. One of the things, every year that I've been alive except for one, we've had Thanksgiving dinner at my Aunt Betty's house in Orlando. And I think that's one of the reasons. I love Orlando a lot. Some of you are living here because you hate Orlando. And I'm like kind of the opposite. I love the city. I love, and I think part of it is because every year for Thanksgiving we went there. And when I think of my Aunt Betty, um, I, I just love her very much. And she's always got a smile on her face. And the one word that I would describe her uh, with this tra- tradition is faithful. There are times when she doesn't feel good. There are times when, when health is in the way. There was even one time where her house burned down. And I mean, like, burned down. And the, when we were talking about, they were talking about, like, how, she had to live in an apartment for almost a year. And they were getting it ready. And her mind was thinking about, will it be ready in time for Thanksgiving? Right? That's what she's thinking about. I'm like thinking about a million other things other than that, but she's just faithful, and she just wants to do it. She, she just never complains about it. She's just a servant, and part of the beauty of it is her faithfulness. I mean, yes, she makes awesome biscuits, right? Banana pudding is unreal. The turkey is great. The stuffing, I look forward to the sides, but what is even sweeter than all those things is her faithfulness, and when we think about this in our own life, we don't have to be crazy. Keeping traditions doesn't require you to have a six-figure bank account or the creativity of an artist. Sometimes keeping those traditions and making memories just requires you being faithful and demonstrating the character of someone who is faithful. Are you after God's own heart? A person after God's own heart has righteous character, and having righteous character means being faithful. God demonstrates a covenant faithfulness to David. Next we see another aspect of having righteous character. Having righteous character means being kind. In chapter 9, what Paul just read, we see this incredible account of David showing kindness to a man named Mephibosheth. Now I'm trying to figure out how many times I can work that name into the sermon so I can just hit my quota of saying hard biblical names. Mephibosheth is way up there, so if you hear me calling him Fib from every, every so often, it's because I'm just tapping out. But um, the real reason David is being kind to Mephibosheth is he's being faithful. When Jonathan was alive, back when he was alive, David and Jonathan made a covenant. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, I've got the words up on the screen, verse 14 to 16, this is a covenant they made. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. Jonathan talking to to David. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And David here is being true to his word. What's interesting about this is this covenant that we just read was about 15 or 20 years prior to this moment. There's a long gap 
And commentator says something interesting about this, Dale Ralph Davis. He says, the promise made in the past directs faithfulness in the present. And David is remembering the promise that he made to Jonathan and shows an incredible amount of kindness to Mephibosheth. We first see this man in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. Um, the news of Saul's and Jonathan's death hits the camp. And some of the family said, I think it's time for us to go. Um, it's great to be in the king's house when he's the king, but when he's not, not the king, it's kind of it's the opposite. And so they, they get out of town, and while they're leaving, Mephibosheth is just five, and the nurse fled with him. And while they ran, he fell, and instead he became crippled in both of his feet. And now, at the time of 2 Samuel chapter 9, Mephibosheth is in the wrong family. He's in the wrong family. Just think about, think about it for a second. Um, in this, we've heard of all these stories of people trying to kill Saul and anyone related to Saul because they think David will be happy. Right? It happened at least twice. And can you just imagine, if it, I mean, like, you don't want to, uh, you know, have son, of, son of King Saul, right? You don't want to be wearing the Saul insignia anymore now that he's dead, now that there's a new king. So Mephibosheth is gone. He is hiding, and he's hoping. The fact that that promise was made 15, 20 years ago, it could have been 50 or 100 years ago. He's hoping that nobody ever finds him, but he found him. The new king took over, and he actually treated the old regime well. In spite of all the cultural and personal barriers between these two men, David showed him incredible kindness when he could have shown him the exact opposite. In, in, in this chapter that, that was read in verses 1, 3, and 7, the Hebrew word hesed was used, which is a word that can be translated as kindness or even loyalty. But out of kindness, this is what David did for Phib, for Mephibosheth. He gave him everything that belonged to Saul. Everything. He gave servants um, the opportunity to live with him and take care of all that land because he couldn't take care of it himself. So all of his servants had a place to live and, a, and, and food to eat. He gave a place for his son, Mephibosheth's son, Micah, to live. And he gave him a permanent place at, David, at his own table. Tim Chester describes what David did for Mephibosheth in this way. He told him, don't be afraid. Eat at my table and be like a son. A person after God's own heart has righteous character, and David is demonstrating righteous character by being kind. There are a couple New Testament stories that kind of pick up on this theme as well. In Luke 14, there's a parable that Jesus tells about a great banquet. And in this great banquet, he's inviting this master, inviting his friends. None of them want to come. So he said, fine, forget them. Go invite the, the poor, the lame, the crippled. My house will be filled. I will fill my house. And there was a banquet around the table, and everybody was invited to the table. And those who were outcast came and shared a meal. And what we see here is it's, it's, a, it's a picture of what's happening. David and Mephibosheth couldn't have been farther apart. David, this big warrior, brawny guy, handsome man, powerful man, Mephibosheth, the, 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 the runt son of a forgotten king who was a horrible king and was murdered and is out in hiding, share the same table. It's amazing, isn't it? And the story right after that, in Luke chapter 15, you see the story of a prodigal son. Um, and, and Tim Chester says about this, he said, Jesus tells the story of a returning prodigal who offers to be a servant when he comes home, but then is treated like a son. That's exactly what Mephibosheth does, right? He 
throws himself down at David's he said, I will serve you. But instead of being treated as a servant, which was even better than he deserved, he's treated as a son and now shares the same table with all of David's kids. It's amazing kindness. It's amazing kindness. And it's demonstrating that David's a man after God's own heart because of the kindness that he's showing. I mean, just, just, just put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes for a second. I don't even know if you need to close your eyes. I don't know if that's weird. If it's weird, don't do it. But if it's not weird, join me on this little journey that we'll do. Uh, just imagine you're, you're Mephibosheth for a moment. As a child, I mean, one of your first memories is hearing about your, your father's death, and you just get up and go. And you're leaving, and it's frantic. There are people screaming. People, you're grabbing whatever you can to just get out of the house. On the way, you fall maybe down the side of a cliff, or maybe, maybe, maybe you trip over something, and you, both of your legs are broken, and it affects you the rest of your day. And all you're trying to do is just get away from that place, and you finally settle down. You're finally in a place away from that, and you still remember that day because your feet are a constant reminder of that day. You can't ever escape the day. And, but, but you're living your life. You have a son, you have, you have your own routine, and then you hear a knock on the door, and it's heralds from the king. They come in, and they say, King David wants to see you. Imagine what you're thinking in that moment. You're a fugitive. It's been a good 15, 20 years, but now he found you. You get in your mind. You're working through the scenarios. You're making this long journey. He was way north, coming all the way south. What am I going to say? What is he going to do? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? How do, how do I face this guy? How do I face this guy? And you see King David your heart sinks and you just throw yourself on the floor and you're just, just begging him for mercy, knowing what he could do to you. And then you hear these words, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And you look up and instead of anger in David's faith, it's a smile, maybe even a tear. And David promises all these things to you. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Mephibosheth? Can you imagine how that kindness just broke through that? What was once fear had not even turned to happiness. It was, it was probably unbelief. Like, I can't, I can't. You're going to do what? I'm going to sit where? You're, you're giving me what? All of this was a testament of David's kindness demonstrating this righteous character. He's a son of the king. Are you after God's own heart? A person after God's own heart has righteous character, and having righteous character means being kind. David demonstrated his kindness to Mephibosheth. Lastly, we see that having righteous character means being courageous. In chapters 10, we see David's kindness extended. First, he's showing kindness to, to his own people. Now, he's trying to show kindness foreignly. His foreign policy is a policy of kindness at this point. And he, he, he hears of, of, of a king that has died. And, and this king, Nahash, um, was kind to David in the past. During his fugitive wanderings and different things, this king was kind. And so he's sending condolences to his son. I'm sorry your father has died. He sends a, a, a group of people. And how did they respond to that kindness? 
It was met first with skepticism and then met with shame and outright rejected. They took these poor men, shaved off half their beard. I've actually, uh, I auctioned it off. I had grown my beard once for eight months, nine months, and I auctioned it off for a mission trip. It was fantastic. I started getting stares at the airport, so I decided it was about time uh, for me to get rid of it. But uh, part, I auctioned it off, and what they chose to do was shave off half of my beard. And so I show up to church Sunday with half my beard. Uh, there was tremendous shame involved. It was, not a, it was not a pleasant Sunday. Everyone was like, what is going on with you? And then it's like, you know, you have, they have to tell the story again and again and again, and you, you do it for good reasons, and it still doesn't make you feel better. But these men were humiliated. They had half their beard shaved off. They had their clothes cut from the waist down, like the reverse hospital gown effect, right? All David was trying to do is be kind, and it was met with indignance and shame. So what happens next in the rest of the chapter is David says, okay, if you want to respond to my kindness, you'll respond to my sword. And he goes and brings an army and says, he's going to take care of business. And what happens in this battle, um, there, there's character demonstrated by a super unlikely source. As the battle uh, approaches, it gets closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, um, Am- Amnon's like, uh, we've done screwed up. So they grab mercenaries from all over the place. And so the battle is getting ready to take place, and all of a sudden, Joab looks around, and there's an army to the north and an army to the south, and he is completely pinned in. So he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You are going to take some of the, the strongest men. You're going to go up here. I'm going to take the rest of the men. We're going to go down here. If you hear us in trouble... You come save us. If we hear you in trouble, we're going to come save you. And then he says this in verse 12. Joab, he says, Be of good courage. Let us be strong for our people and the cities of our God. And may the Lord do right in his sight. This is Joab. If you don't know anything about Joab, Joab is a He's a great military guy, but he's a questionable character, right? He's ruthless. He's already murdered somebody that we've talked about. He's a hardened warrior. He's underhanded. He eventually is a traitor, spoiler alert, um, to David, and and David has him killed. But what he does here is demonstrating incredible character. The end of the statement, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight, is like a fiery furnace kind of statement. He's saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if the Lord is going to save us. I don't know if we're going to be victorious, but we're going to be strong, we're going to be courageous, and God is going to do what he's going to do. Let's get to work. It's an incredible amount of faith that he, he demonstrates doing this. An incredible amount of courage. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis says, taking Joab's words into our dilemmas may make us both more confident and less certain. It's a paradox here. Joab has zero idea what is going to happen. No clue. Yet his confidence and courage is raised. Aren't those the times where we need to be confident? Aren't those the times where we need to be courageous? We have no idea what's going on. When our circumstances are incredibly uncertain, courageous, being uh, courageous carries the day for us. A person after God's own heart has a righteous character, and Joab is demonstrating righteous character by being courageous. One of the ways that we can be just practically courageous in everyday life is loving our enemies. 
I mean, just think about that for a second. There's nothing courageous about loving those who love us, right? If we have people that we know love us, we do something nice for them, we were supposed to do that anyway. We know what's going to happen. We're going to get a hug. We're going to get a thank you card. It's going to be great. If we love somebody who hates us, we have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, we have no idea how they're going to respond. The uncertainty is through the roof. We have no clue how that's going to go. Look at, and just look at the example of what happened with David. David is trying to comfort somebody who just lost their father. And how do they respond to that? We see this in Matthew 5. Jesus talks about this. Verse 43 through 47. Jesus said, and I think it's up on the screen, You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do those do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. When we show kindness to our enemies, we run the risk that our kindness is going to be thrown away. We run the risk that our kindness is going to be returned with anger. That our kindness will be returned with shame and frustration. But we still need to do it. It takes incredible courage to operate that way when things are uncertain. The more uncertain things get, the more courageous we need to be. It takes a measure of courage to just put ourselves out there in the first place, to want to help somebody, somebody who needs help, somebody that we see who is struggling. It takes courage because we have no idea how they're going to respond. but it's demonstrating righteous character to be courageous and do so. Are you after God's own heart? A person after God's own heart has righteous character, and having righteous character means being courageous. Joab demonstrates courage by trusting God in unclear circumstances. This morning we've seen three examples that demonstrate righteous character from this text. We see... We saw first that having righteous character means being faithful. To be faithful to others, we first need to be faithful to Christ. If I want to have righteous character, I need to demonstrate the faithfulness of Christ who came to the earth and was rejected by his very own people and went to the cross on our behalf anyway because it was foreordained for him to do from the beginning. He was faithful to everything, even to death on a cross. And because Christ was faithful, I can be faithful to other people. Maybe you've made a promise to someone that you need to keep. Maybe it's been 15 or 20 years. If you're still alive, you can keep that promise. You can demonstrate that character by fulfilling that promise. Maybe it's a project or a commitment, a project that you said you'd do with your kids or something you said you'd do for a parent. Are you a person of your word? Do people know that they can count on you? 
when they have something that needs to be done, they know they can pick up the phone and call you and that you're going to, if you say that you're going to come, you're going to come and it's going to get it done. I was looking, uh, we've got kind of two houses right now. Some of our stuff is across the street. Some of our stuff is in a storage unit. Some of our stuff is in another house. I was looking for a, a coat last night. I remember where I left it th- four or five months ago. I don't know where it is right now. I was looking for something to wear. And I, I, I just wanted to, 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 to look like I knew what I was doing and wearing a coat, right? So, I just, so you would listen to me maybe. And so I, I, Dan, I saw Dan uh, last week, and he said, hey, if you need anything, like a coat, just give me a, shoot me a text, and I'll bring it for you. And Dan is someone that I can count on. So what did I do? At 7 a.m. this morning, I shot him a text and said, hey, remember when you said about needing a coat, can you bring one? And guess what? I'm wearing it because the man is faithful, right? That's an easy example of that. Yes, thank him, thank him. I'm thankful for him. Being faithful just means being there, doing what you say you're going to do. And because Christ was faithful, we can be faithful. And we can demonstrate having righteous character by being faithful. Having righteous character means being kind. To be kind to others, you first need to receive the kindness that Christ has given to you. I don't know if you identified with Mephibosheth at all in this chapter, but every single one of us is that. Every single one of us were as helpless, as unimportant, as aligned on the wrong side as Mephibosheth. And we heard the king calling, And he said, do not be afraid. The kindness of God leads to repentance. If we haven't experienced the kindness of Christ, we can't be kind to other people. Because Christ was kind to us, we can be kind to others. I'm so thankful that Christ showed kindness to me. Maybe this holiday season you ran into a relative that just makes you crazy. When you think of the holidays, you think of that person. Like, oh, Lord, I've got to see that person again. And twice in a month because there are two holidays and it's not fair and I've got to stay at their house. What is something this season you can do to show kindness to that person who doesn't deserve it? I I, I don't know what it could be. Maybe it means having a conversation about the boring thing that they want to talk about for an hour or two. And you care very little about it. But maybe it would be kind to just sit and just have that conversation. Give an encouragement, encouraging, encouraging note. Anything positive you can say to somebody. Can you treat them like they belong at your table? Maybe there's someone here in the church that you just need to be kind to. Maybe you just need to, uh, it's going to get cold next week. Perfect hot cocoa weather. That's an op- Hot cocoa was invented for you to be kind to other people. <laughs> the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And your kindness, demonstrated to somebody else, can lead them straight to Jesus. Having righteous character means being courageous. To be courageous, we have to trust the courage that Christ demonstrated for us in going to the cross. Sweating drops of blood in the garden, knowing he would face the full wrath of God. He chose to endure that for his glory and for our good. If I want to have righteous character, I need to demonstrate courage in how I follow Christ. Is there something big that God is asking you to do? 
Have you have felt like a prompting on your heart? That God is leading you somewhere, and when you think about it, you just, you don't want to think about it, because you know what it means. Is there a step that you need to take? Is there a neighbor you've been praying for, for months and months and months, and you just can't get the courage to take the step across the street and ask them for the cup of sugar or the hot cocoa or whatever it is? We just need to be courageous. Demonstrating righteous character means being courageous. Do you need to follow Christ today? Not being sure what it'll look like. Being courageous means it's going to be incredibly uncertain, and you go ahead with it anyway. That's courage. I would hope by the end of this, you would want to demonstrate righteous character. I don't think any of us grow up and go through life thinking, I just really want to be the worst guy that I could be, right? You know, I just want to be mean to people. I want kids to hate me. I want my own mom to, I mean, we don't think, we want to be righteous. And the thing is, none of us can be righteous, As we're going to see when this series picks up in chapter 11, David is certainly not righteous. But the righteousness that we have comes through Christ, who in every way demonstrated faithfulness, demonstrated courage, and demonstrated kindness to us. There's another kind of hidden thing in this passage. What you have here in chapter 8 and chapter 10 is you have the king showing up and asking people to respond. In chapter 10, we saw how they responded. They responded by shaming the messenger and sending him back. And instead of bowing to the king, they went to war with the king. Maybe you're here this morning. You've heard about Jesus. You know about him. At some point, you're going to have to make a choice of what you're going to do to the king. The king is going to rule the kingdom. He's going to rule. You can be his enemy. And he will take the kingdom by force. Or, in verse 8, there's a guy named Toy, T-O-I. And what he does is he sees what's going on, and he says, you know what? Um, I don't want to fight. David, you're a pretty good guy. We surrender. Whatever you want from us, it's yours. Now, we don't know if Toy is being righteous, but he's being a lot smarter than the other king. He sees the king coming. The king is inevitable. And he says, I give up. I surrender. Take. I will be your subject. When we see Jesus, we face one of those two choices. Are we going to surrender and say, I'm yours. I'm your subject. I don't even have to have a seat at the table. Make me a servant in your kingdom. Or will we fight back and force him to have to conquer us? That's the question I put to you this morning. We all want to have righteous character. But we have to have that by first surrendering to Christ. We've got to put our sword down. We've got to put our fist down and say, I can't do this. I can't fight this losing battle anymore. I need you. And I will gladly, not only is he not going to make you a servant, he's going to give you a seat at his own table. How awesome is that? And if you're here this morning, And you don't have a seat at the table. He offers that to you this morning through what Jesus has done. He came, lived the perfect life, died the death that we deserve, and now reaches his hand out to us in kindness, inviting us to be his family, to be his sons and daughters. And if you don't know Jesus, we're talking about him coming. Why don't you meet him now and be his son or daughter rather than his enemy? Let me pray. God, we just thank you for today.
We love you for all that you are, for all that you've done. I just pray that if there are people here fighting, not wanting you to rule, that they would just put down their weapon. They would surrender. They would give their lives to you. And God, I just thank you that through Christ we can, we can be faithful, we can be kind to others, and we can be courageous. We pray that as the busyness of the season happens, you would just remind us of that. Help us to reflect your characteristics to other people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 